And then the last one is what I call a justice quotient. And that is whenever you're making a workplace decision, you think, okay, do we have a diversity of perspectives on this? Have we consulted the most affected by the decision? And are all stakeholders present? If you can say yes to all three of those, you know that your decision is going to be holistic. Welcome to episode 93 of Chaos and Rocket Fuel, the Future of Work podcast. This is the podcast that looks at every aspect of work in the future, and it's brought to you by Wanda and Patton. I am your host, Doug Folks, and my co-host is the CEO at Wanda and Patton, Claire Haydar. Claire, we are busy having a very interesting and practical conversation with Marie Gervais, who is an author. She's also a fellow podcaster, Culture and Leadership Connections is the name of her podcast, so you must check that out. Bring us up to speed, please, on what we covered in the first episode and what are we talking about today? As you and I said at the start of segment one, this conversation really surprised both of us. We came in thinking it was going to be very ethereal, philosophical in nature. We came out with really practical frameworks that business people can apply um, you know, to work immediately coming out of this conversation. There's a very real contradictory element to running a for-profit business where you know very real metrics like gross profit, EBITDA margins, those type of things need to be monitored, revenue growth, etc. And actually elevating the experience of the work happening inside that company. There's very often clashes or or ideals that are at odds with each other. And so we we really get into that debate with her and, and Marie handles this very, very well where she shows that they don't necessarily need to be opposing forces and that you really can create an elevated work experience for people while at the same time really aggressively pursuing for-profit goals. And with that absolute perfect pricey of what we're about to listen to, let's head on over to Marie. I'm going to kick off the second part of our conversation, Marie, by asking you, how do you marry this framework that you've created to elevate work with the very harsh, let's not beat about the bush, the realities of working and running a a for-profit business in today's environment? Well, there are three concepts that I think can be very useful for businesses and that help with um, answering that question. The first one I already spoke about is choosing intentionally to do soul-enhancing thoughts, words, and actions. And that you'll know because it's expansive, whereas soul diminishing is constrictive. So if you think of, a, for example, a dictatorship, it's the first thing they do is shut down on what people can think, what they can write about on the arts, what they can research about, and they take color out of the environment and turn everything gray. So it becomes very diminishing and constrictive. And you can see in people's bodies that when they are not at their best, their bodies are constricted. And, you know, their posture sags and you see in their face when people are discouraged how constricted they look. So when the body's expanded and the spirit is expanded and you can come to work and feeling expansive, it is a result of that being intentional about that. So that's one simple thing that people can just keep thinking about and you will start to autocorrect. So you don't need to make adjustments, just start thinking, is this soul enhancing or soul diminishing? And it will have a huge effect. Second one is I have a model called the SWELL model. So it stands for safety, well-being, encouragement, and learning. And it's a series of questions that you can ask to see what you're doing and how you're doing it 
from a more holistic perspective and then make adjustments as you can. So from the safety perspective, what's, you know, before we offer this service or this product, what are we using and how did this, uh, the materials get to us and how those are the people that brought that to us safe? Uh, are they physically safe? Are they emotionally safe? Are they culturally safe? You know, are they in a psychologically safe workplace? So just asking the question helps you to think about safety quite differently. So from the beginning of the life cycle of the service or the product that you're providing, what are those safety questions that would be useful to ask? And then when it's the end of its life. And if you think about this now, look at all the waste we have in the environment. The end of life of products is not considered as part of the creation of products. They're just thinking, how do we make money from it? Not what's going to happen to it when it's dead. And so if we did think that way, we wouldn't have tailings ponds. Uh, you know, we wouldn't have landfills that are completely filled with toxic and non-biodegradable things because we would have thought it through. So it doesn't mean that we can change everything right now. It means we're thinking that way and we're starting to move in that direction. So that safety well-being is about how can you encourage purposeful and meaningful work contributions. So, you know, do I feel that I can speak up about things? Do I feel that I can listen to others, that I can hear what they have to say? Are there opportunities and forums for contribution for in a variety of ways in the workplace? That would be the well-being piece. And then encouragement is a counterbalance to the culture of criticism that is they really rampant almost everywhere where it's like almost a, a game to criticize and ridicule and humiliate. And to encourage people takes a very deliberate process that you can do in multiple different ways, but it can often start by recognizing their qualities. Like that was, I really appreciate how you did, you know, you stayed a little bit later to help out when we were short staffed today, or that was just so generous of you, or thank you for being patient with me while I was getting my act together this morning. Those kinds of using virtues can help with the encouragement piece. And the last one is learning. A workplace that learns is a workplace that is able to move forward. So, and when people stop learning, when any group stops learning, that's when the decline kicks in. And that's when decay and stagnation kicks in. So you can start at any point. You could start with learning or encouragement or well-being or safety. It's a very useful model. A number of workplaces I've been working with are starting to use it now in their discussions, in their meetings. And then the last one is what I call a justice quotient. And that is whenever you're making a workplace decision, you think, okay, do we have a diversity of perspectives on this? Have we consulted the most affected by the decision? And are all stakeholders present? If you can say yes to all three of those, you know that your decision is going to be holistic. So I'm going to give you an example. I was at the United Nations University in Japan a number of years ago, and there was a big conference on refugees. There was not a single person there who had been to a refugee camp, and there were no refugees present. And they were making decisions about refugee camps all over the world. That's an example of not consulting those most affected. <laughs> D diversity yeah. of perspectives was not there, and all stakeholders were not present. So you, it's a lose-lose fail situation. So and in workplaces, we can look at that and say, okay, wait a minute, which decisions are working, which aren't? If they aren't, let's look at the justice quotient and see if all three pieces are there. Okay, so Marie, just very quickly, go, go back for me, give us the, the acronym for the model, and then just repeat for us very quickly what the different ones are. So the first one was SWELL, safety, well-being, encouragement, learning. Second one was choose soul enhancing rather than soul diminishing. And then the third one was the, the three-part justice quotient. 
Yeah, and that's diversity of perspectives, consult most affected, and all stakeholders present. I'm finding it incredibly more practical than I thought the conversation would have been. You know, with the title, The Spirit of Work, I think it could be easily think that it's going to be all a little bit, you know, up in the air, but actually it's anything but that. Yeah, it's one of the most practical podcasts we've ever done. I mean, this is really useful, practical models and frameworks that executive team leaders can actually take out and start applying. Yeah, well, sometimes when people ask me about the book, I say this is not just another book on, you know, mindfulness. Although I promote and believe in and practice mindfulness myself, mindfulness is only one piece of the holistic workplace puzzle. It needs to be practical, otherwise it's not holistic. Exactly. Marie, before we move on to to my next question that I have here for you in this specific section where we're talking about, you know, how to balance the demands of of for-profit business with this much more holistic approach to work is one of the challenges that I personally face as an executive is creating a culture within our workplace where honest feedback that's growth orientated is balanced with encouragement. And we find like one of the challenges that my co-founder and myself and the leadership team in particular navigate, and this is a conversation that comes up, it comes up at board level, it comes up, you know, in shareholder conversations, and it very much comes up in leadership conversations, is that particularly the younger generation, I mean, you spoke about this, we're currently straddling five generations in the workplace, is that the younger generation coming into the workplace are not as open to growth-orientated conversations, even if they're positioned in a very encouraging environment. Whereas we find that older generations tend to be, you know what I mean, they have the maturity and the ability to, without taking things personally, step back and say, you know what, this is valid critique. I take it on board. There's a better way to look at this, better way to do this. Whereas younger generations aren't. Do you address that piece in your book at all in terms of how to apply that balance that's so critical? Because happiness is not just good stuff all the time. No. It includes hard conversations. It includes constructive critique, all of those type of things. Well, I do speak about it in terms of actually when it's the bring your heart to work because I talk about professional judgment and about encouragement and challenge though it's in that chapter but it's also scattered throughout and in from my my work as an emotional freedom practitioner coach so and that's based on the idea that when people they don't have the the strength to withstand a criticism and this also for older generations they may say they take it well but their nervous system is still affected by it yes and so the nervous system will will react as if it were under threat in the same way as if you were suddenly faced with an earthquake or something. So the nervous system still reacts that way hugely inappropriately because it can't distinguish. It only says threat or no threat. It's not nuanced in that way. And so people need help in learning how to be aware of their own nervous system, name feelings to themselves, recognize when they're feeling triggered, and then calm themselves down. So for example, I'm thinking to yourself, and this needs to be taught taught to people before you have a conversation with them. So, you you know, think to yourself, you know, I'm feeling really triggered right now. I'm feeling really defensive right now. 
I'm just going to take a deep breath and accept that that's how I'm feeling in this moment. And so being able to say that to yourself, nobody else has to hear it, you're thinking it in your own thoughts, in your own mind, starts the blood flow in your brain to move from uh, the amygdala, which is, that's your lizard brain, and that's where you're reacting to danger, through to your entire brain so you have access to your frontal cortex and you can actually think and take the whatever people are saying appropriately. So that's the first, and it's a simple step, but it is, I am feeling, and you wouldn't believe how many people do not know that they're feeling anything. One of the supervisors I worked with said, until I've heard about this, all my day was just a whole blob of things happening and different feelings happening up and down. I couldn't even name them. And now I can say I'm feeling frustrated, I'm feeling angry, I'm feeling excited about this. I'm a little nervous about this right now. He said, I wasn't thinking those kinds of names of things anymore. And as soon as I think them, I suddenly feel calmer. And I said, yep, yeah, that's the beauty of, of knowing how to respond to your own nervous system. I mean, there's much more to it than that, but that's very, very useful. And um, another thing that's helpful for the person who is giving the feedback Here's a few really practical things for this too. Sit next to the person instead of facing them or walk with them side by side. When you do that, people don't feel defensive because they feel you feel that you're working from the same page, walking in the same direction. So you immediately remove the threat to the nervous system by walking together or sitting side by side. The other thing is to ask questions about the person and about who they are and where they're at with their job. Uh, so tell me about your job, what's happening with you right now, that sort of thing. Just get general kinds of things. And then now uh, there is something I do want to speak to you about. This is it. You say what it is and then you go, so what's going on for you right now when you hear that? That question, what's going on for you right now when you hear that? And that question is golden because then, and then you just wait and people will respond in a way that is much better than what you might have been getting in the past. So that it's, what's going on for you right now when you hear that? And people might say, oh, well, yeah, that's just not true. And say, how are you feeling right now? Are you feeling, you know, and if they can't do it, say, are you feeling defensive? Are you feeling worried? Are you, are you thinking you might lose your job? Like, what's going on for you right now? What are you feeling? And they start to calm down as they identify that. Then you can get to the point of where they're going to be able to address the behavior. But otherwise, they won't. They'll just get discouraged and they'll dig their heels in deeper. They can't develop professional judgment in that context very easily. Marie, I have a psychology background, you know, my, my educational background. I'm not a practicing psychologist at all, but one of the, the models that I like to reference a lot that comes up, you know, as you're talking is one of the cognitive behavioral therapy models, which is the, the triangle, the thought, feelings, action triangle. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I'm raising it here is because it's very similar to what you're saying where, you know, People really, really struggle, and I can speak to this for myself because I've really had to train myself in this area over the years, is they struggle to differentiate between feelings and thoughts. And sensations. Yes, and sensations. In their body, which they can't know. They can't differentiate between that either, which really trips them up. Sorry, please go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I'm really happy that, you, that you're raising that one because the interesting thing is, is that when people are able to do that and – get to the point like what what I've seen with people and this definitely was the light bulb for me as well is that the feeling and the thought are totally acceptable and they can be whatever they are and the sensation in your body can be whatever it is it's what you do with the action afterwards and, and a lot of people operate from that place of the thought is unacceptable the feeling is unacceptable and that's where they get blocked 
You know what I mean? And then that turns into the negative sensation, which then becomes a negative action. And so, you know, just that very simple principle of, you know, and if managers can bring that into meetings, if managers can bring that into their just day-to-day coaching of teams working with them, it could have a truly profound impact on functional performance of teams. Yeah, I think it'll have a slight impact because basically it's still a cognitive model. Agreed. And and, and cogn- cognition is only 10% of our experience. So until people can actually start to use things like what I'm talking about here, which is like, I can name this feeling right now. I can tell you where I feel it in my body, where I sense it in my body. Until they can actually do that, they can't move forward with the cognitive model. So that is a really important differentiator. And and most managers who would be using that aren't doing it themselves. Like they might be talking about it, but they're not doing it themselves. So it's the re-education, basically, of paying attention to what's going on inside of us so that we can respond appropriately to what's going on around us and in front of us. And then we have the blood flow, like I was saying, to the entire brain, and we can actually start to access our cognitive abilities. But before that, we're really sabotaged. I think before we go to segment three, the one thing that wasn't clear to me is actually the the question just before that. We've spoken about the individual and of the company environment, but where does the responsibility lie? Is it up to the individual to bring their spiritual being to work, or is it up to the company to provide that framework for them? It's up to both of them, and I would also add the community as well so that you have a third partner. So the individual brings themselves to work in an aware and holistic way. It's, that's their, each of us, is our, that's our responsibility because that's what we have control over is our own selves. And so that's the first one. The institution or the company, a corporation, has the responsibility to set the tone and to create an environment in which people can bring their whole selves to work. And the community needs to encourage it rather than discourage it. Does that help? Yes. Perfect. And with that piece of clarity around bringing your whole self to work, we end part two of our conversation with Marie Gervais. If you missed the first part of our conversation, you can check it out on Spotify, Google or Apple Podcasts, or on the Wonder website, wndyr.com. We'll conclude our chat shortly. From Claire and myself, we'll see you soon.